Welcome, saints, to the house of the Lord this evening. My brothers and I would like to welcome you on behalf of our Lord and Savior. To the Stevens family, the Lyons family, and to Shelby, I want to thank you for your musical ministry this evening. I will have introduction. I would like to uh, present my brother Darwin Bing will be doing our invocation. Our spokesman will be B.J. Schultz. The benediction will be brought by priest Joe Gio, and I am Elder Dan Walker. It is not an accident that I use the term saints. The theme for the week, for the week is attributes of a saint. The name saint is used almost exclusively to describe the people of God. Moroni in one verse takes us from the first step of being a saint from the first step of being a saint to the hoped for conclusion. You'll find this in Moroni 8.29. And the first fruits of repentance is baptism. And baptism cometh by faith unto the fulfilling of the commandments. And the fulfilling of the commandments bringeth remission of sins. And the remission of sins bringeth meekness. And the lowliness of heart, and because of meekness and lowliness of heart, cometh the visitation of the Holy Ghost, which comforteth filled with hope and perfect love, which love endureth by diligence to prayer, and to the end shall come when all saints shall dwell with God. I also find another quote I'd like to share with you come out of a book called The Angel Message. It's by Bishop Arthur B. Phillips. Uh, Brother Phillips was a contemporary of Fred M. So he's out of that time frame. And he states, it is a divinely authorized name, being saints, for the members of the church. So what are the, some, some of the attributes of, or characteristics of being a saint? Being faithful, repentant, enduring, loving, forgiving. Are we perfect? Not yet. But we have hope. Another attribute of the saint. Through our Lord Jesus and Savior Jesus Christ. Tonight after the uh, service and after Brother Schultz shares his ministry with us, we will be uh, sitting back down after the benediction for announcements. Uh, I was told by Brother Justin to tell you that. So if you have any problems, talk to Justin. Uh, we want to uh, start out our evening by singing hymn number 262, Rise Up, O Saints of God, number 262.
Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you at this time thanking you for the knowledge of your spirit, for the knowledge that you love us. Be with us for this uh, opening of a reunion that uh, we may always look to you and have your spirit fill us. Continue to be with us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Given this opportunity, I was told that a gentleman by the name of B.J. Schultz would be bringing the message. And I don't know Brother B.J. Met him here five minutes before the service started. But uh, I know a little bit about him. He comes from the Columbia branch. He comes up here to, uh, to share with us this evening. And I also know that he's doing uh, premarital classes with uh, the Williams kids. So got a little bit of contact with him through the congregation. So for, for the do, uh, Good evening, saints. It's good to be with you. I'm very grateful to have the opportunity to share with you tonight. I've chosen two scriptures that I pray the good spirit will connect in your minds for introducing the, the topic that we have tonight, that of virtue and godliness. The first scripture comes from the book of Mosiah, chapter 1. I'll be reading verse 116 through verse 120. The second scripture comes from the third book of Nephi, chapter 9, and we'll read verse 28 through verse 30. And moreover, I say unto you that there shall be no other name given, nor any other way nor means whereby salvation can come unto the children of men, only in and through the name of Christ, the Lord Omnipotent. For behold, he judgeth, and his judgment is just, and the infant perisheth not that dieth in his infancy. But men drink damnation to their own souls, except they humble themselves, and become as little children, and believe that salvation was, and is, and is to come, in and through the atoning blood of Christ, the Lord Omnipotent. For the natural man is an enemy to God, and has been from the fall of Adam, and will be forever and ever. And here is the promise. But if he yields to the enticings of the Holy Spirit, and putteth off the natural man, and becometh a saint, through the atonement of Christ the Lord, and becometh as a child, submissive, meek, humble, patient, full of love, willing to submit to all things which the Lord seeth fit to inflict upon him, even as a child thus submit to his father. Lest you find 
the promise and expectation of God somewhat intimidating, the following represents and is recorded the prayer of Jesus on your behalf and on my behalf. Father, I thank thee that thou hast purified these whom I have chosen because of their faith, and I pray for them, and also for them who shall believe on their words, that they may be purified in me through faith in their words, even as they are purified in me. Father, I pray not for the world, but for those whom thou hast given me out of the world, because of their faith, that they may be purified in me, that I may be in them, as thou, Father, art in me, that we may be one, that I may be glorified in them. May the Lord add his blessing to the consideration of his word together tonight.
Thank you, sisters, for that beautiful ministry. I'm called first tonight to bear testimony of what I know and most assuredly believe. And I know it because the Holy Ghost has revealed these things throughout my life, little by little, through first the ministry of my parents to me, and then other people in my life who invested their testimony of Jesus as they shared that with me. And at some point, by a personal decision to take him at his word and to receive those testimonies of those who have gone before me and to ask him for myself. And for all of you, know that when you follow that formula, he will come into your life and reveal himself to you. God the Father is... He is omnipotent, he is everywhere, he is all around us. We are made up of him, and by his word we came into existence. But because of his majesty and glory, he cannot dwell in us. without the expression of himself in the form of a man, the Son of God, who is the express image of his Father, who is the fullness of the glory and the power and the majesty of his Father made flesh on earth, so that we can comprehend who the Father is by interacting with his Son. And in this way, he came to show us the Father. He came to show us the way. And because he knew that our natural man is an enemy to God and that of ourselves we would not be able to come back into the presence of his Father who he loves, he came not only to show us the way, but to be the way. So that by joining our hearts with his, we would be empowered to accompany him back into the presence of his Father. And this happens through the ministry of the mind that the Father and the Son share in perfect harmony and that is committed unto us. First, when we are born, that spirit of Christ that is given to each one who is born of a woman and next, as you and I make commitment to him and express our willingness to forsake that natural man and bury it in the water and come up new creatures and receive that gift of the Comforter, the Holy Ghost, which is willing and able to reveal all things to us. 
And so when we consider these attributes of the Father tonight, virtue and godliness, there is only one door by which these can be incorporated into who you are and who I am. And that door is through the reception of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ into your life. And, and not just one time when you say, Lord Jesus, I am willing for you to be my Savior, but every day, line upon line, as the Father reveals something of his character that exceeds your own. And, and at first, that process is somewhat discouraging. Because it seems like the closer we get to God, the further we are from becoming like him. But take heart. He who has begun a good work in you will carry it through to the end. This is what faith and repentance are all about. In Luke Chapter 8, there's the story of a woman who had a very serious problem. This woman had been dealing with an issue of blood for 12 years of her life. And this problem is one that hasn't gone away. There are many women that still face this same issue. It makes them tired and it makes them weak. And it's very disturbing. But for them in the day of Israel, it was even worse because when a woman was bleeding in this way, she was considered unclean. And that had several ramifications for her in terms of how she could interact with her family and with her church family. If People touched her, they were unclean the rest of the day until they fulfilled certain obligations to restore their cleanness. And so can you imagine living your life that way, being thought of as unclean and a burden to your family and wondering who was going to point out that you were unclean or if you made a wrong move and somebody would catch you in your uncleanness and put you in a position of ridicule. This is what she dealt with. And it wasn't as though she hadn't tried to remedy the situation. We're told that she'd gone to doctors, physicians, and spent her living on trying to solve this problem of her bleeding. And despite all of the technology and the efforts that they had in those days, she didn't get better and just got worse. And there came a day in the life of this woman when the man whom she had heard about who could perform miracles passed by her. And we're going to step away from the perspective of the woman for just a moment and step into the perspective of Jesus and the disciples. Jesus had been just coming out of some pretty challenging experiences. He had crossed the Sea of Galilee after having cast out a legion of devils out of a man. And he came to this town and he, he didn't arrive before the 
Pharisees came to him and, and or the people came to him and said there was a man named Jairus who had a daughter, also 12 years old, born at the same time this woman had developed her problem. Jairus' daughter was very sick at the point of death. And so they implored Jesus, please come and heal the daughter of this man. He's worthy. He's done these things for the people. And so Jesus says, yes, take me. And a crowd throngs about him and follows him. And as he walks through the streets, he passes by the woman. And according to the way that we read the story, it doesn't seem that he communicates any idea that he was intending to pass by her. But as he did, she looks up and sees him. And in her mind, there's the idea, this is the man who has the power of God to heal. But I imagine in her mind is also the, the stakes. If I touch him, now he's unclean. He'll have to do whatever he has to do, and all of these people here will be angry with me and cast me out. And yet this woman possessed great faith. And she reached forth her hand and she touched the garment of Jesus. And as soon as she did this, she recognized the change in her body. And we're told that that issue of blood dried up and she, she felt it. And she knew that it was the case. And the Lord Jesus stopped in his progress. Can you imagine the, the weight of all the things that he must have been thinking about? He's about to go and, and heal the daughter of Jairus, and, and here he is. This has happened. And he, he pauses, and he looks back, and he says, who touched me? And his disciples, imagine they gave a little smile. What do you mean, who touched you? You're thronged about with people. Everybody's touching you. And he said, no, someone has touched me. For I perceive that virtue has gone out of me. That is the attribute of a saint who is the perfect representation of his father. That goes about life and even when he is unaware of the needs that people have around him, they reach forth and can access that virtue, even as in his busiest and most stressful moments. He is so in touch with his Father that he has access to the virtue of heaven, and he is so in touch with humanity that he is willing to give it and to let it flow through him into those souls who desire it of him. And as he pauses and, and says, Who touched me? Finally, the woman fesses up, and she stands with courage and claims the blessing that she has received. She didn't say, I, I, I think I might be healed or I hope that I'm healed. She said, it was me. I touched you and I'm healed. I am whole. And Jesus looked at her and called her blessed and told, explained to her how this happened. It's because of your faith. Virtue is the quality by which the goodness of God flows from heaven, from God the Father, to people on earth. 
as we think about how it is that that can happen in us, I know if, if you're like me, you feel the need to take a shower. And you think, if I can stay in the shower long enough and scrub up enough, I can exit the shower and be who God has intended me to be. It's not like that. Your shower was accomplished on the cross. And your cleansing happened when you made a covenant to take upon you the name of Jesus Christ. To always remember him and keep his commandments which he has given you. And he has promised that if you will do this, you will always have his spirit to be with you. And virtue comes by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in you. So therefore, if that covenant is fulfilled every day of your life, then the virtue of God will have power to flow through you. So that instead of thinking it as, I need to take a shower and be clean, you can get the hose and start spraying other people. Because the love of God will flow through you. And we're told that that love is, that that spirit is like living water. And you can't, you can't make them drink that water or be cleansed with it. You can only offer it to them. And if you offer it willingly, God will bear witness of their need for that water and its power to accomplish in them what it has accomplished in you. Only the godly can experience this and the only way that you can become godly is to develop a relationship with him. Jesus, before he went to the garden, he offered a prayer for you and for me. And he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy son, that thy son also may glorify thee. That he may give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And he defined eternal life this way. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God. And Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent and this process doesn't happen just by going through the motions of life, by sitting, listening to someone stand up here and talk. Godliness requires something special. Therefore, in the ordinances thereof, speaking of the church and the authority of the, the priesthood, in the ordinances thereof, the power of godliness is manifest. And without the ordinances thereof and the authority of the priesthood, the power of godliness is not manifest unto man in the flesh. For without this, no man can see the face of God, even the Father, and live. This is less about the worthiness of the priesthood to stand and minister to you as it is about the power of the ordinances that God has placed into the church to accomplish what I've just described. And if we will participate with him in those ordinances the way that he has intended, then 
the virtue of God can, flow, can and will flow through us into the lives of others. And when that happens, they will want to know this Jesus. And we will share with them the glad tidings of the gospel which was preached from the beginning. There is a principle that is in all nature. It, it involves the way our bodies work. It involves the way rivers flow. Um, the principle deals with actually something called flow, in which, uh, for example, um, when it comes to our bodies, our blood moves from places in our body where there's high pressure to places in our body where there's low pressure. And in those parts of our body where there's high pressure, the blood is flowing slower. And then our heart beats, and the blood flows faster, and the pressure decreases. But if there's not that gradient or that difference in the, the pressure, the blood will just sit there. And that's what happens when a person dies and their heart stops beating. There's no flow. As soon as there's no flow, it's not long before death follows. Which is why Jesus, when he was in the wilderness, stated so clearly that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that flows from the mouth of God. That's why he asked, he, he, when he taught us to pray, he said, ask God, give us this day our daily bread, not our monthly bread or our yearly bread, our daily bread. There must be that constant gradient from him to us so that his love can flow to us. I work as a doctor, and one of the things that I do each morning before I start, um, I'll say most mornings, and if I'm not actually offering this prayer, it's, it's at least in my heart and in my mind, is I ask the Lord to, do, to give me three things, or to allow three things to happen that I, I feel like are absolutely necessary for a successful doctor-patient interaction. If these three things happen, then the visit will be a success, I believe, from both standpoints. The first thing that is necessary is that faith must be established. If I walk in the room and there is no assurance, I can't develop an assurance with the patient that um, what they hope for will be accomplished, then it doesn't really matter what else I do from there. The next thing that I pray for is that the truth will be brought to light. It doesn't matter how much faith they have or how much assurance they have, if, if we can't come to the truth, then we're stuck. And finally, that virtue will flow into that person's life. And if I'm focused and I am looking to the Lord Jesus, then those things happen. And if I'm not, then none of them do. And I'd like to tell you about a time when none of those things happened, and hopefully through my weakness and this experience, you'll discern the importance and the value of how the process is supposed to work, and how virtue, because it doesn't matter whether you're a, a doctor, or whether you build boats, or whether you sell insurance, or whether you're the mayor, the same process is necessary for us as followers of Jesus, if good is to flow through us into the world. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. 
He that comes to God must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. And faith ultimately must lead to truth. Otherwise, it is faith unfounded and not really faith. And truth must be received and embraced in order for heaven to look downward and the generally assembly of the church of the firstborn to come down out of heaven and possess the earth. There was a day when I was pretty busy at work and the next patient on my schedule was a woman who had been referred um, for an injection in her hip and I do a lot of injections and um, by this point in the day I was a little bit behind and, and so I was a little flustered and a little rushed and my usual approach when it comes to, to my job, I, I kind of approach it like I did playing baseball, is that if I would go through the same process every visit, I would do the same thing every time I stepped up to bat, then usually I was going to do things right and I wasn't going to leave something out. But this, and, and so usually I knock on the door and I greet the person, and I introduce myself and um, establish some sort of relationship. And at this time, I knocked on the door, I went in, I said, hello. Sounds like we're doing an injection in your hip today. Is that right? And she just looked at me with open eyes and, and like a deer in the headlights. And I recognized this, but I persisted in my hurrying and asked her where it hurt and um, asked her to climb up on the table and we're going to check your hip out and start moving her hip around and, and she's yelling and really beyond anything that I'd experienced thus far. And I said, well, got to do something different now. So I said, why don't you come down and walk? Let's watch you walk. And she came down and she was kind of wobbly. And at this point, I'm making some assumptions in my mind and I'm thinking this woman is drunk. And I'm pretty upset now. How dare you come to this office drunk? And, and I'm thinking, well, I can't do an injection. She can't, is not going to know what we're going to do. And you're kind of seeing into the, the worst of how I was thinking about things that day. And so I start to ask her, have you, you know, what's in your cup there? Have you had anything to drink? And now she's mad and oh, I'm drinking. And, and so I've really lost anything that I could have hoped to accomplish. And finally, I realized that this situation is not salvageable. And I, I said to her, you know, I, I don't think I'm going to be able to do anything to help you today. I think we should just finish things up. And I reached to open the door for her and to let her walk out. And, and she left. And about 15 minutes later, I office said, do you have a phone call from a police officer? And okay, and answered the phone. And the police officer began to question me about you know, this interaction. And you had a person that claims you pushed her out the door and, and this kind of thing. And, and so I had to go through and explain what had happened. And I, I knew that all of, the, all of those problems that developed in that interaction started from the moment I walked in the door. They started when I decided to go in as BJ. I forgot to go in as an ambassador for Christ. And when you do that, there's no possible way for you to have virtue flow through you. There's no possible way for you to be a godly woman or a godly man unless you first enter in through his door. That virtue and that godliness is a little too big a 
actually far too big for us to fully comprehend. How is it possible that something can flow through you and heal a person? Jesus said, greater things than those that you've seen me do, you will do. Several years ago, I was asked to lead camp, and one of the topics and themes that I was interested in is the idea of the Word of God being made flesh. And I was to go to a, a conference for work, and it was going to be in Florida. And I was looking forward to staying at the beach, and I really enjoy watching the sunrise or the sunset over the water and the way the light bounces off the waves and the way it shines on you, all of that experience for me is one in which I feel very close to the Lord. And I think it's partly due to the wide expanse of the ocean, that it's so big and so deep that you can't comprehend it. In your vision, you can't comprehend it, at least I can't in my imagination. And so I was looking forward to spending time with the Lord, and I had in my mind a vision of what this would look like. I would be sitting on the beach, looking out and watching. We were going to be, I was on the, the Gulf Coast, so it was going to be the sunset facing west. I was going to commune with God, and he was going to teach me the answer to my question. What is this? The Word made flesh. So I checked into my hotel, and I went out to the beach, and it was a completely overcast day so overcast that it was like the clouds were just not much higher than this roof. And it was the kind of clouds that you can't really understand. It's just gray. If you didn't know it was clouds, you wouldn't, you'd just think the sky was gray instead of blue. And so I thought, well, I can't let this prevent me from drawing close to the Lord. And so I went out and found a little pier and where I could just look out and have all the people behind me and just look in front of me. And I started to pray. And as I prayed, the Lord, by His Spirit, placed an invitation on my heart and on my mind that if I would ask Him any question relative to His Scriptures, that He would answer me and teach me. And I'd never had anything like this come into my mind before, and I, I knew that this was genuine and real and that He would do, he would do this. And so I asked Him, Here's the scripture I'd like you to unfold to me. In the beginning was the gospel preached through the Son. And the gospel was the Word, and the Word was with the Son, and the Son was with God, and the Son was of God. It was that last phrase that I was most interested in. And I said, what do you mean the Son was of God? And as soon as I'd asked him that question, I looked up towards the sky and I could see instead of that gray mass of cloud that I couldn't understand, I saw one cloud stepping out of that greatness and I could see where it started and where it ended and I could comprehend it. And I knew that it was made of the same stuff that the, the other cloud was made of and immediately I knew that I had my answer. Just as that little package of cloud had come out of the, the greatness of cloud, so the Son relates to his Father. He is the full representation of everything the Father is. And in this way, they are one. And yet, he is distinct from the Father in that he can relate to us in ways that the Father cannot because we can see him, we can comprehend him, 
And because of the holiness of the Father, we can't get near the Father. But because of the love and sacrifice of the Son, we have access to his Father. And this testimony that I'm sharing with you now was completed. Well, I shouldn't say completed. It was expanded this week. I was blessed to go with O'Neill and Mike and some others who are members of your, your branch here to, to camp. And Mike chose for us our, our first hike was to go up a mountain called Lookout Mountain. And we gathered it outside the vans before we left, and Mike offered a prayer. It had, had told us that he'd been praying, because it was cloudy, it'd been raining. He asked, asked that the Lord would open it up so we could see blue sky. And he knew, he had been up this mountain before, and he knew the kind of view that we would have at the top of that mountain. It was going to be out over all the mountains around us and just majestic. And he was so excited for the campers and the rest of the staff to, to see this. Just like I was expecting and looking forward to looking out and seeing that amazing sunrise. So Mike prays. We get in the vans. We go. We start hiking. And I think it was a mile and a half, maybe a little more up and pretty steep. And we get close to the top and it's misting and raining and everybody's got their raincoats on and the boulders are slippery and first hike of the camp and everybody's having to pull one another up these boulders in, in order to get up to the place where he has in his mind for us to go. And we get to the top and one by one the families get there and have time to sort of look around and reflect on where we are and when you're up there the cloud was so thick that you couldn't see anything beyond our little mountain. We couldn't see any majestic mountains around us. We couldn't see the valley below. You could only see white cloud. And we were really, we were in the cloud. But what we could see was the mind of God because he revealed to each one of the people who were up there that day that in his eyes the majesty of creation is found in the people that he has created. And all the campers could look around and see distinctly and clearly each other's faces. Ellie was teaching a class. Joseph was teaching a class. They could see them clearly. Everyone on the mountain we could see. Anything past the people white. And in this situation, we caught not only a glimpse of the mind of God, we caught a glimpse of how he envisioned Zion. For all the beauty that is in Zion, all the streets of gold and the things that we think about being there, the best part of that experience will be our relationships with one another and with him. We came down and had another experience later in the week that sort of further drove the idea into our minds how this process works. We had a chance to go rafting. This was my first time to ever go whitewater rafting, and I was really excited. We were in the raft with the TL, team leader, and this guy, we, our raft was going to be towards the back, and he gave the talk 
before, the safety talk. And he explained that you need to wear your life jackets, explain how to buckle them, wear your helmet. And he said, you know, there's no bones sticking out. We're just going to keep going. Nobody really, you, you can really get hurt on this, but nobody's going to get hurt. You might fall out of the raft, but nobody's going to fall out of the raft. It's going to be fine. Okay, so we, we get out and we're in the raft. And the first part is pretty smooth, not many rapids. And we came to the first set of rapids and everybody got through and it was great. I was having a great time. And then we came to the second part and our guide is telling us how he's going to get us through. And then all of a sudden people start yelling, swimmer. And that was what you're supposed to say if somebody was out of the boat. And there was a young lady from our camp who had fallen out of the raft. And it was in a raft, maybe one or two up ahead of us. And the guides had explained very clearly what you were to do if you fell out of the raft. You were supposed to lay on your back and float until you could find a rock and try to grab onto that rock and hold on until they could get you. Your other option was to swim to shore. And it kind of depended on how strong a swimmer you were, which of those two you chose. And so we washed, and, and this young lady is laid back on her back and perfectly composed, and she's floating. And then you see her grab a hold of the rock, just like she was told to do. And then our guide comes around, and he's, it was a different boat. And they said, OK, they got between her and downstream. and said, let go. And she let go and floated right to the raft and got back in. And at the end of the week, she shared her testimony of what that experience was like. And she related it to her relationship to the Lord Jesus in a way that was beautiful. She said, I fell out of the boat, had nothing to grab onto. I laid back and I prayed. And I saw a big rock and I hoped my body could come into contact with that rock. And I reached out my arm and there was a rock that I could grab. It was small enough to fit in my hand and I held onto that rock everything I had. And the water, the pressure beat upon her. She was grounded. And she was safe because she held on to the rock. There's a part of the Doctrine and Covenants called the Lectures on Faith. And I've come to appreciate this this book more and more the more I've read it and, and this is from section 5 and it explains some of the things that I've been sharing with you relative to how the Father and the Son are related and, and I want to I hope that you'll take the principles that you're going to hear here and understand that when, when we read about the relationship between the Father and the Son how the son partakes of the fullness of his father and what things he does in order to, to ensure that process continues. That's the same, that process is the very same as is required of us if we are to obtain these attributes of saints. Whether it's godliness and virtue, which is our topics tonight, or whether it's faith and diligence, charity, those that you'll be considering later in the week. The Lord Jesus, because of the promises of his Father, always, 100% of the time, had access to the glory of his Father and the fullness of all of those attributes. And he had that access because he kept the commandments of his Father. 
And when he was placed in situations of trial and difficulty, he could state clearly, the Father has not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. And I imagine when it was hard, if ever it was challenging to have a hundred people saying you're wrong and you're blaspheming and you're the only one who knows you're not, I imagine he went back to the day when he approached John the Baptist. He said, John, baptize me. And he was met with a contradiction. John didn't feel worthy to do that, and he said, ah, no, you should baptize me. And Jesus said, suffer it to be so, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. And I imagine his mind went back to what happened next as he came out of the water and the dove descended upon him and the voice spoke out of heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I know what it's like to have my father feel that way about me. My relationship with my earthly father is of such a quality that I've always known I've always known that he was pleased with me. Even during times when, now this is the difference between my relationship with him and the relationship of Jesus with the Father. Even during those times when I did things that were not pleasing, I knew that his pleasure was accessible and that all I had to do was to come back and to make right where I had deviated, and his pleasure with me would be restored. And that is a type and a shadow of how our God wants us to view him. And infinitely more so, There are two personages who constitute the great, matchless, governing, and supreme power over all things, by whom all things were created and made, that are created and made. Whether in heaven, on earth, or in the earth, under the earth, or throughout the immensity of space, they are the Father and the Son. The Father being a personage of spirit, glory, and power, possessing all perfection and fullness. And I've wondered... When the Lord Jesus says to his disciples, it is necessary for me to go so that you can experience the comforter. Because as long as I am here, the entirety of your vision of who God is is focused outside of yourselves, as it should be. If Jesus was in our midst here, I sure would be sitting down, and all of our focus and our attention would be on him. And so great is, would be his representation of his father that there would be really no room for us to find that representation in ourselves, right? I mean, who, who could stand in the presence of Jesus and say, look, here's the, the glory of the father in me until, as we find in the Book of Mormon, he steps away and he prays for the people and he comes back and his countenance is radiant with light and he prays for them. And when he goes back to the Father and the disciples receive the Holy Ghost, now 
the revelation of the fullness of the glory of God is for them to discover through the operation of the Holy Ghost in their own lives. So that instead of looking at this person who's with them in the flesh, now they have to look inward. And to find that portion of the revelation of the Father in themselves and in the lives of the people around them, so that the prayer of Jesus, which he prayed, would be fulfilled when he said that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us. Virtue and godliness made flesh. The Son who is in the bosom of the Father, a personage of tabernacle, made or fashioned like unto man, or being in the form and likeness of man, or rather man was formed after his likeness and in his image. He is also the express image and likeness of the personage of the Father, possessing all the fullness of the Father, or the same fullness with the Father being begotten of him, and was ordained from before the foundation of the world to be a propitiation for the sins of all those who should believe on his name, and is called the Son because of the flesh, and descended in suffering below that which man can suffer. Or in other words, suffered greater sufferings and was exposed to more powerful contradictions than any man can be. When the brother Jared began his relationship with, or rather when the Lord began to reveal himself and develop a relationship with the brother of Jared, it began with a promise. He was faced with a very real problem. I can't communicate with my family, or I might not be able to communicate with my family. And Jared was the one who suggested it. Go and pray. Maybe God will preserve our language. And isn't this how our relationship with the Father grows. He's given you and I many precious promises. And as you try one promise and you watch and he fulfills it, immediately with that one thing, God has gone from being an idea passed down to you from your parents or from a book. He's gone from being an idea to a reality. And your faith in him is strengthened because he's, he has shown himself to be true to that promise. And now you can go on to another promise. And so for the brother of Jared, his brother came back and said, well, if he's going to preserve our language, maybe he'll preserve the language of our friends. Go ask him. He goes and he asks. God does it. Imagine now the brother of Jared's faith, I imagine, is even stronger. Jared comes back and says, well, if, if all these people are going to be confounded, maybe God will lead us. He'll be our God and he'll lead us to a place which he has prepared for us, a promised land. Go ask him. He asks him. And the Lord says, go. And the next step of that walk was one that would take the brother of Jared from interacting with promises and with, with the Spirit to one in which God was going to appear in a more physical form. Because he said, go into this valley and I will meet you there in a cloud. 
And I don't know if his cloud was anything like our cloud that we saw and experienced, but I'm sure that there were things that the brother of Jared discovered about God, who he is, and how he is a being who not only is way up in the heaven, but he is a being who has a place on the earth and can dwell on the earth. And you can hear his voice on the earth. And that took him one step closer to the revelation that was awaiting him on down the road. And so he leads them in the cloud. And they go forward and cross many waters and they travel long distance. And then four years they wait. Brother Jared fails to call upon the Lord. He chastises him for three hours and then he says, Now, go, it's time. Build barges. Cross the water. Brother Jared thinks about the problem. My people will be in darkness. Maybe I'm going to ask the Lord. He's, he's taken me through this far. And this time, instead of giving him a direct answer, he says, what do you want me to do? And he reasons with him. Can't have fire. Can't have windows. What are your ideas? And so now the Lord is revealing to the brother of Jared that his virtue can flow through him in the form of intelligence and creativity. And he goes into the mountain and he finds, actually he, he I don't know the word, takes the rocks and he somehow makes them clear. We were up and we were talking about that during our hikes. How did he take something like this and turn it into something clear like transparent glass? Whatever he did, he presented that as his best effort. And he said, Father, touch these stones with your finger. And he saw the finger of God. And he was afraid. And that fear was calmed by the voice of him and Eventually, he saw the Lord Jesus in spirit. And so wherever you are in your relationship with him and, and wherever you are in relationship to the attributes of virtue and godliness, remember that process and that story. And if you will take the first step towards him by asking him, asking him to reveal these qualities in the Lord Jesus, you will find in the scriptures the way in which those qualities were made flesh. And then if you will embolden yourself and take the next step and ask him to reveal those attributes in your own life, you will find the Lord Jesus making himself very much at home inside of you. And when that happens, there will be no place for shame There'll be no reason why you feel like you need to go and shower more. You'll be in a position to share the living water with those around you. I'd like to read a scripture to close us. This is from section 16 of the Doctrine and Covenants. Remember, the worth of souls is great in the sight of God. For behold, the Lord your Redeemer suffered death in the flesh, wherefore he suffered the pain of all men, that all men might repent and come unto him. And he hath risen from the again from the dead, that he might bring all men unto him on conditions of repentance. And how great is his joy in the soul that repenteth, wherefore you are called to cry repentance unto this people. Behold, you have my gospel before you, and my rock, 
and my salvation. Ask the Father in my name, in faith, believing that you shall receive, and you shall have the Holy Ghost, which manifesteth all things, which is expedient unto the children of men. I would commend this Jesus to you and pray that tomorrow as you gather and share in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, that his promise would be fulfilled in that thing, in that ordinance, that the power of godliness would be at work here among you and within you, and that that power would have the effect of preparing you to see the face of God. May God bless you. We'll close with the singing of hymn number 182, at which Brother Gil uh, will bring our benediction. 182.
my Father and my God. We come together in humility and in repentance. We are gathered as your saints, Father. Help us to rise up. Help us to open our ears so we can hear, so we can learn, Father, of your great love for us, for your great will for each one of our lives. We praise you, Father, for letting us be able to gather together. I ask a benediction over this service, Father. I ask a blessing over uh, everyone that has responsibilities this week. I ask a blessing over everyone that attends and that we might come tomorrow with a broken heart and a contrite spirit in remembrance, Father, of what your son did for us. Help us, Lord, to uh, be a beacon of your light. Help us to take part in that living water. Help it to flow, Father, all the way through our lives. I sing hallelujah, 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 Father. Thank you. It is in your Son's name, which is above all names, which is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, the King of kings, I pray. Amen. Y'all be seated for a moment, so just...